Hello and welcome to MacBytes, episode 133. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. In this episode, playing Scrabble with Big Brother in the Bubble Boutique. But first, in show 130, which isn't that long ago, is it? I know, it's scary. <laughs> I wonder who's still delinquent. Oh, I do believe there's quite a few delinquent. Names will be taken. In show 130, I talked about problems that I had with signing PDF documents. And on the back of that, we heard from Jim the Real, who sent us some feedback through Slack. He came up with a couple of suggestions. One is Adobe Sign, which is a service from Adobe. And this is a paid-for service which costs $20 a month and lets you add electronic signatures to documents. Now, this wasn't really what I was looking for. This is more of a workflow-based system rather than adding a signature to a predefined location in a document. That's really what I was trying to do. But the other suggestion was GoodNotes 5. Now, we both used to use GoodNotes, but version 5 is Catalina only. So, unfortunately, that's not going to work for us. But thanks, McJim, for your contribution and your feedback. It's very much appreciated. GoodNotes is fabulous. And on iPad, it's even more fabulous. The only reason that I was using the desktop version on Mac OS was to synchronise it. So if I had a PDF that I wanted to sign, it's easier to drag and drop it into an application on the desktop than it is start doing the old, well, it used to be called the um, floppy disk shuffle, didn't it? Sho shoving it in a cloud somewhere and then going to find it in the cloud and then pulling it down into GoodNotes. I also got really aggrieved with them that the initial beta versions of GoodNotes 5 for macOS worked fine on Mojave. Then all of a sudden, the next beta came out and it was like, this only works on Catalina and I'm in the middle of a workflow. So what I decided to do, a variation on McJim's suggestion, which is a very good suggestion because the, the signing in GoodNotes is fabulous. I just switched apps and I went to Notability, which I know Graham uses. The apps are very, very similar. I would say the biggest difference between them is the way they organise files. But I've actually found that Notability has benefits over GoodNotes, I would say. There, there are certain things it does better. One of the very few things that I look at and think, you know, all the stuff they've added, you can do audio recordings and everything in Notability. Why is there only an undo button? Why is there no redo button? <laughs> It's like the tiniest things are so annoying. And that's one of them. But good call, because if you do have an Apple Pencil, you'd get a really good signature, wouldn't you? It wouldn't look as canned as it would if, if you know, every time the signature spot on because it's actually a graphic. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Excellent and lovely to hear from you, Mac Jim. Oh, do I have to talk about Fortnite? Yes. I think I do. It's R.I.P., but it's we've had some long drawn out app demises, but this fortnight thing is looking like the longest sunsetting ever. It's sunsetting in episodes. In the news about Fortnite this week, no new in-app updates. Really? Don't know about you folks, but I took that from last week's Fortnite news overload. The developer account, Epic's developer account, was due for termination. Just as we started our holiday. Do you think that was related? 
Um, it was on a Friday. Anyway, I don't think they did delete it on the Friday in question. I think they left it over the, the weekend and then it disappeared the following week. Do you think all this will go away now that's happened? I doubt it very much. Hmm. Given Apple's history with lawsuits, it looks like it could rumble on for years. In the meanwhile, oh, I, I, I'm going to sound really knowledgeable now. <clears throat> when the Chapter 2 Season 4 update, which is version 14, rolled out, it did not release on iOS and macOS. Do you know what we need now? A yawn stinger. Some of your fortnight speak, that's what we need. No, no, I've, I've had that surgically removed. Carry on. Okay, last week I told you about my mum's broken laptop. The good news is it's now working again. I think the problem was a corrupt boot record. I sound knowledgeable, don't I? You do? It's almost as if you know what you know anything about Windows. I know plenty about Windows, thank you very much. The most I know enough to know I don't want to use it. The most difficult bit was actually Googling how to get into the BIOS, which I needed to do to change the boot sequence. I needed it to boot up from the CD drive into which I placed a recovery CD that she'd given me. And the thing about PCs is that different models of computer access the BIOS in different ways, which I've always found a bit weird. Now, when I told her it was fixed, what do you think she said? Oh, thank you, my darling son. <laughs> no, she actually said, but I like this computer, it's faster. <laughs> That's my old laptop that I'd given her. So I've agreed to let her keep my old one and her old one can stay here as a spare. So that was that saga dealt with. But later in the week, she told me that she had a WhatsApp problem. She tried calling a friend and although it rang at her end, it didn't ring at her friend, friend's end. Then her friends tried calling her and it rang at her friend's end, but not at her end. So she and I tested it and we got the same result. I asked her if she turned it on and off again. Do you know that in almost 18 months of her having her iPhone, she's never actually turned the phone off? <laughs> that happens to me. Do you know, I, I still, I know there's a button combination, but since I got the iPhone 11 and there's no actual no home button, I always have to go through the settings because I can never remember the key sequence to actually turn the thing off. Yeah, and I couldn't remember which phone she had, so I had to Google that as well. How do you turn the <laughs> 6 plus, I think it was, off? <laughs> the common way to do it, irrespective of which phone you have, is actually to go into the system settings and there is an option in there to turn the phone off. And that is the same no matter which phone you have. So to be honest, that's the one to commit to memory, isn't it? Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. Uh, but before turning it off and on again, I had another thought. I thought maybe the WhatsApp app needed updating. So I talked her through running the App Store app. And yes, like mother, like son, the app needed updating. So I talked her through updating the WhatsApp app. And she was giving me feedback like there's a circle going round and round. And now the circle has a blue square in it. And now the circle is filling up with blue. And now the button says open. I'm sure you're visualising what's going on here. I am. Yeah. All the things that we just do and take for granted. I'm actually wondering how many other apps need updating. Because I asked her if there was a number at the top right and she said there wasn't. 
she probably didn't know what number I was talking about. Obviously, I'm talking about the badge number that tells you how many apps mm. need updating, which for me is currently about 76, but that's a whole different story. We won't talk about that, will we? No. Anyway. Before, uh, before the OCD of one of us kicks in. Anyway, she opened WhatsApp, she called me, and now it's working. So, one happy mama. Do you know, you've got to love muggle support, especially parental muggle support. At least yours was more grateful than my father used to be. Now, I will admit it was a good few years ago and things weren't quite as advanced as they are now. But his stock in trade, when, when he had a problem with his phone, what, what, did, what was he like? He'd throw it he was on unbearable the bed. with it. He would literally sit there with it and it was always the football. Might as well not have this. And he would get really cranky and like throw it on the sofa. Um, he never actually threw it in such a way he would damage it. So it was all hot air and as we say over here. Um, but mum took him literally one day. And when he said, I might as well not have this. And he threw it across the sofa. She picked it up and said, fine, I'll throw it in the bin. And she disappeared with it. He never did it again. My mother was very wise, wasn't she? she very was. wise to him. Anyway, talking of your mother. And, talking of games, news of women being chatted up in a Scrabble game. Mm. I read this. A number of women who play online Scrabble on the Scopely app, Scrabble Go, say they're being messaged by creepy men within the game's chat function. They begin a game and then start asking where the women live and whether they're married and want to continue chatting via other messaging apps, such as WhatsApp. Really? Apparently, the story goes on that they play rather badly, which means obviously you win and you feel good. They flatter you and then they want to shift the chat. Now, by shifting the chat to other messaging platforms, they're talking about encrypted messaging services so they can't be followed. And some are using photos of their sons, admitting they believe the son to be better looking. Oh, come on, guys. Seriously? There's nothing creepier. Ugh. Now, what has this got to do with Mike's mother? Mm. She plays online bridge. <laughs> and I am so tempted to ask if it goes on in her bridge app. But if it doesn't, she might feel she's missing out. <laughs> this thing's got a name, apparently. Romance scamming. It's seriously sad the world has come to this. Yet another reason not to install games. Funny that you should mention the Bridge app. With this Bridge app, um, it's it's on the computer and you play against some random person. So you sign up, you log in, and you just play against some random person. So there is lots of opportunities for romance scamming. Last week, she was playing against a guy from Australia. And whilst waiting for the table to be set up, they were chatting away in the text chat. And it turns out he knows people in Manchester. Yeah, so he says, Mum. So he says. I'm, I'm not saying he wasn't genuine, but like you say, you've got to have your wits about you. You know, every day when I speak to her and she tells me what she's doing that day, and she says, oh, and I'm playing bridge or I've been playing bridge. I keep thinking, should I mention this? <laughs> the thing is, it feels like the tables have turned. You know, like, you and I would know if it was a scam. In fact, I just don't get involved. Don't speak to people in games and you don't have a problem. You don't have to stop and think, I wonder if this is genuine. You're not involved. But, you know, with your mother, 
it's like the tables have turned. Whereas she was looking after you and saving you from potential hazards as a child, every day you speak to her on the phone, it's like, what's she up to today? What peril is she placing herself in today? Don't talk to strangers, yeah. I also occasionally read things on LinkedIn, posts mainly from females about how they've been hit on by guys. And, you know, that is supposed to be a professional network. It seems that nowhere is safe these days. I have read posts like that and it does seem quite common. Having said that, it's never happened to me. Now, this could possibly be that my photo doesn't entice people. I mean, obviously, I am drop dead gorgeous, but I just don't put pictures online. And when I look at these pictures that the ladies put online, as you've said, it's a professional thing. But some of the photos are like, this was me on holiday in my bikini on LinkedIn. But, you know, they kind of stand there and say, I've got the right to put any photo I like up and and not be subject to any abuse or whatever. I totally agree with you. But seriously, it's like a red rag to a bull, isn't it? You are attracting the comments, the very comments that you say you don't want. So if I were putting a photo up on LinkedIn, could you do one of those headshot things, you know, where it's like you're backlit and they can't see you? It's just like an outline of your head. That would probably be safer. I know it shouldn't happen, but the fact is it does and it's best avoided. That's what I think. Do you know what's creepier than LinkedIn? No. Facebook. You know, when you upload a photo, I uploaded a photo to Facebook. This was about almost two years ago now. And we were at a ball, weren't we? A fancy dress ball. And we'd gone with our friends and we'd all gone dressed in various Star Wars outfits. So actually, there were some photographs of me on Facebook, which is incredibly unusual. But seeing as though I'd gone as Darth Vader, there wasn't really much to see, was there, Mike? Apart from Miss Saber, my lightsaber. But I uploaded this photo and the place that we'd gone to, the, the lighting is shocking at that place, isn't it? They'd literally just had their revamp and they'd put these kind of light tubes in where they can change the colour of them. And for this particular night, it was all purple. Do you remember it? I do. All the photographs had this hideous purple cast on it. So imagine it's half pitch black. What light there is, is purple and everybody is dressed up as Star Wars characters. So there was me as Darth Vader. There was you in your Stormtrooper outfit. And obviously we had the heads on, so we were fine. But we had about three Princess Leia's. Um, what was the one with the blanket outfit? Obi-Wan Kenobi. We had somebody as Ray. We had Queen somebody or other, the one with the funny red hat. We had one who is normally bald and had got this wig on. And it looked a bit like a Beatles wig, didn't it? Mm. So he looked totally different. I uploaded this photograph to Facebook. And it went ping, 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 ping. Do you want to identify these people? And I'm like, I could barely recognise these people as being my friends. But Facebook, straight there. The facial recognition on Facebook is scary, scarily accurate. So I'm glad I had the head on. The next time, of course, I upload a photo of Darth Vader, obviously, it's going to come back and say, is this you? <laughs> That's my party piece, my Darth Vader outfit, isn't it? Yes, LinkedIn. Pictures, romance scams. It's dangerous out there. Take care. Uh, now, there's another new Apple store to be opened. Can't be as bad as the last one. Well, you say that, but this is Apple. And this one appears to be from the land of what were they thinking? This one is a floating bubble. 
on the waterfront in Singapore. A floating bubble-based boutique apple store, no less. I kid you not, it looks like a downed air balloon nestling neatly next to a pier. It floats. And wait for it. It lights up. In a previous life, it was a nightclub uh, for five years between 2011 and 2016. No news on what it was after 2016. But there does seem to be an influx of new stores right now. Um, Did Apple not get the memo about folks not going out much? I don't think they did. Nicely done. The longer the mentality is, I'll just nip out for, fill in the blank, the longer the rest of us are holed up to avoid you. But yes, another new Apple store. This one has to be seen to be believed. I'll put a link in the show notes. Don't miss it. A downed air balloon. I'm sure I won't. I wonder what the staircase is like. Do you think that's why it's lit up inside, the lights underneath the staircase? No, I shouldn't be looking at these photos. Move along. Nothing to see. That wasn't the only news involving Apple this week, was it? Oh, absolutely not. Hot on the heels of all Apple's other woes regarding the App Store comes news of Apple versus WordPress. Spoiler, this does not show Apple in a good light. WordPress is more than a free blogging platform. There's a corporate side to it that sells domain names and a whole range of web hosting packages too. But the two are completely separate. I know that. Mike knows that. I know that. Me too. Even I know that. The thing is, it appears Apple didn't know that. And for a few days, this meant that the free WordPress app and any updates to it were unavailable in the App Store. So Matt Mullenweg, who is the founder of WordPress, explained in this long rambling, I think it was a a tweet storm about it. But he said the heads up on why the WordPress iOS updates have been absent. We were locked by the App Store. To be able to ship updates and bug fixes again, we had to commit to support in-app purchases for the dot-com plans. I know why this is problematic, and I'm open to suggestions. WordPress opted for the path of least resistance. They agreed to add paths inside the iOS app for users to purchase their premium stuff, including domain names. Obviously, once you've got that in place, the 30% kicks in and the 30% will be going to Apple through the purchases made inside the app. So Matt Mullenweg adds that he's aware other apps have similar functionality to the WordPress app. They're in the same market and they don't offer in-app purchases. So he said, my guess is they will get similar feedback soon. I'd encourage them to start making the in-app purchase plans. Hmm. So at this stage, it seemed Apple are running other folks' businesses for them. But the oxygen of publicity seemed to soften their stance. And over the weekend, Apple reversed its ruling. So they said, we believe the issue with the WordPress app has been resolved. Since the developer removed the display of their service payment options from the app, and it is now a free standalone app, it does not have to offer in-app purchases. We've informed the developer and apologised for any confusion we have caused. Really? It's nice to know they're capable of apologising when they stuff up. Seems you need to be a big developer, though. So Mark Mullenweg continued once this decision had been made, uh, saying the app was always a free standalone app. I am very grateful that folks at Apple re-reviewed it and have let us know we do not need to implement in-app purchases to be able to continue to update the app. 
But he then added, and this was the most important bit to me, he says, my understanding was that the previous decision was final and that we had already made many of the arguments that people suggested privately over the last few weeks during the time the app was locked. We will continue to be responsive and do our best to be within both the spirit and the letter of the App Store rules, including closing any web view loopholes that pop up. And then he goes on about other stuff, etc., etc. But I thought it was very interesting that he made the point that all these arguments had been made privately between, suggested to him and then made between him and Apple. And Apple took no notice, but the oxygen of publicity and they changed their mind. Are Apple getting nervous? They are certainly under scrutiny right now, especially in relation to the App Store. And it's 30% cut of purchases. 30% unless you're a big boy firm, of course, where you are able to negotiate better terms. It's only two weeks since the Epic Games Fortnite thing kicked off. Goading from Epic, and they were goading, weren't they? You know, that's what got Apple to ban it from the platform. But then the goading enabled... Epic to force Apple to kick them out so then they could file their civil antitrust suit. And the antitrust suit was all about claiming that Apple were harming competitors through anti-competitive terms. And the anti-competitive stuff, it's not just the states. Competition regulators around the world have now jumped on the bandwagon and are much more closely scrutinising Apple's App Store terms. Are we still governed by the European Union or not? Who knows? We're in transition. Who knows? We're, we're, we're half Brexited. So I think at the moment we probably are. But they've opened a formal probe into the pricing strategies. And that was from a complaint that Spotify made. So they made an official complaint to the EU. Then there was messaging app Telegram. They filed a complaint with the EU last month. And the US regulators have been probing Apple together with Google, Amazon and Facebook over their anti-competitive behaviour. Now, Apple claimed it applies its App Store policies evenly across all the developers. But documents made public during that congressional hearing, do you remember the interrogation, Timmy's, Timmy's first interrogation? Obviously, he's going to face a much sterner one when I get my hands on him. But during those congressional hearings, it was revealed that some developers, including Amazon Prime Video, were able to negotiate significant discounts. Apple, really? Not classy. Not classy at all. When did all this get so sleazy? Not only are they offering these discounts and... Uh, on the quiet, the fact they're happening at all is bad, but to keep them quiet and not be open and above with it, really? The new Apple disappoint me on so many levels at times. And just as I was thinking that, how disappointed I was with them. I sound like a parent, don't I? Very disappointed with you. Apple, I read an article then entitled, Apple brings in kinder, gentler App Store policies. I just about fell off my chair laughing. It said, Apple instituted new policies to make app, the App Store a bit friendlier for developers. It stopped blocking bug fix updates because of minor violations of its rules. And when an application is accused of violating the guidelines, developers have an option to suggest a change to the rules. Let's be honest, I'm sure a lot of them were making suggestions as to a change in the rules anyway. But Apple announced the policies at WWDC and they go into effect now. Hmm. Not only that, but they're now allowing offer codes for subscriptions, 
which, you know, don't get excited. It isn't as generous as it sounds. It's doubtless needed because users are left cold by what's become virtually Apple's compulsory insistence on a subscription. I mean, they love them. These subscription offer codes provide deals on App Store items. So Apple actually suggests, quotes, provide your one-time use codes digitally or offline at physical events alongside products and more. So a company could, for example, hand out cards with a subscription offer code printed on them at a festival. And they would let people try a service free for a month and then have the usual fee kick in afterwards. But it's not just making it, you know, a free, a free trial for however long. That's not the only option. The codes can provide a discount on subscriptions too. So it's the usual code that you would see, a unique alphanumeric code. And it can be redeemed through the App Store or as a one-time code redemption URL. So you can actually click it. And it will also be possible to build a redemption system into the apps as well. It's complicated enough with these subscriptions without triply overcomplicating it. Um, they didn't say when this would kick in other than later this year. There's a lot of information available on the Apple developer website, but apparently the discount codes are just part of a drive, a drive to warm us up to subscriptions, I, I'm assuming they mean. Is it too little too late? Let's just say it's unlikely to bring harmony back to the relationship between Apple and developers. Because as soon as I'd finished reading those articles, the very next one was titled Mac Malware Slips Through the Apple Notarization Process. Say that again? Yes. The very process that nuked Charlie Munro's apps approved malware. Yet again, I almost fell off the chair laughing. I'm seriously considering reading all these articles from a prone position in future to prevent serious harm. They do need to strike a balance between their incessant drive for money with their 30% and the best interests of the customers before they actually have none left. I hate the subscription thing, not necessarily in principle, just the way it's been applied to applications where it's just wholly inappropriate. And Apple just seem blind to that. So you've got an application and it does one, one thing, you know, and you might use it, say, once every two months. Now there's a subscription and you're paying £20 a month. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But that could just be me, couldn't it? Mm. No, they're making it more difficult than it needs to be. It should be simple. Do you know a case in point with that? And I know this particular company. I feel really bad using this particular company as an example, but... I have to, because it's the subscription thing that's made, that's got my head spinning. And that's the Omni Group. They've dabbled with a subscription before in relation to OmniFocus to have access to your tasks, etc. on the web. And that's, I think, the last time I looked, it was $5 a month, I think, which I thought was a little bit much. On top of the fact I've already bought all of their applications. This is just purely to allow me to see them on the web. But they have brought subscriptions in for their apps. but Obviously, if you've already bought the app, you're, you're not going to change to the subscription until the app has a major update. The first app of theirs to have a major update has been Omniplan, which I have used since forever. Instead of bringing in subscription, and that's the only way, you can still buy it outright. But obviously, it's not cheap. I think the full price is something like almost $300. You'd get a discount for an upgrade. 
But the reason I haven't upgraded full stop is I'm thinking to myself, right, at the moment, as far as I'm aware, there isn't a hosted version of it. So I can get access to my stuff directly in, in a browser. As far as I'm aware, that is not available yet. But should it become available, then that's going to be a subscription. So paying for the app fully now, I wouldn't be able to do that. So maybe I should take their alternative pricing, which is subscription based. Then I looked at the price per month and thought, you've got to be kidding me. There is obviously a calculation to be made. Will it cost you more for that particular version to rent it on a subscription for the lifetime of, of that version of the application or buy it outright? And I think it would probably work out cheaper to buy it outright. But if I do that and then they bring in something in terms of hosted with web access, then as a direct purchaser, I wouldn't get that. So what to do? What decision do you take with something like that? It's an optional subscription. It's not the only way to buy it. Apple are worse than that. You know, the iOS apps we're talking about, that's the only way if you want the features. But it, given that in this circumstance, there's an option. You can either buy it outright or you can deliberately choose to take it on subscription. Which way do you go? Guess which way I took. Which way? Left it alone. Decided not to use it. <laughs> I seriously looked at it and I thought, I, I'm not in a position. I didn't feel I had enough information about how that would pan out to make the right decision. That potentially I might not have all the features. A little bit like Officeworks. If you buy Office rather than subscribe to Office 365, you don't get all the features over the lifetime of that app, do you? No. So I took a decision with that. I was going to leave it alone. I felt you're not giving me enough information. I don't know where you're going in the future with it. So uh, I will take the decision that's right for me and not bother. So that's what happens with these subscriptions. Just saying. Maybe I should give. Um, oh, there's an idea. What if we invited Ken Case onto this new question time with me interrogation series? Do you think he'd come on? In the same show as Timmy? Uh, no, not, not the show, not the same episode, but a series, shall we say. Put them on the spot. Put them on the spot. If they were getting from you about £250 over the course of three, four years, and they're now expecting, I think it was around 20 a month, don't be silly. Would, would you be prepared to pay £20 a month for one project planning application no no well neither was i and then i when i looked at the full version just just buy the thing outright then i had to be careful because they've got to provide some incentive for you to subscribe and there's no let's be honest the incentive's not oh i know what's a good idea to give them money every month no the incentive would have to be feature-based so I was actually then thinking, what's going to happen down the line when there's a new version of Omni Outliner and Omni Focus? I can actually see me with bye bye. Much as I love their applications, at least with Omni Focus, I know what I would be missing, which would mean I wouldn't have access in a browser. But with all of the other apps at the moment, I don't necessarily know what I would possibly be missing down the line. Anyway, as if the farce of subscriptions isn't ridiculous enough, particularly in relation to what we were talking about with all that Apple has done, that paragon of virtue, Mark Zuckerberg, is jumping on the Apple bashing bandwagon. 
He literally had the bare-faced cheek to say, Apple has this unique stranglehold as a gatekeeper on what gets on phones. He, do you know he did a private webcast for this to 50,000 employees? I didn't, I didn't realise Facebook had 50,000 employees. But he then said that... Um, Apple's App Store blocks innovation. It blocks competition and allows Apple to charge monopoly rents. Ironic much. This is Zuckerberg, the biggest profiteer of Apple's platform, and he doesn't pay the Apple tax. This article I was reading said of the top 10 apps on iOS, three are his. So the top 10 apps. Shall I just list them? Or are you Go going on, to list, guess? list them. No, I'll list them. YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Messenger, Gmail, Netflix, Facebook, Google Maps and Amazon. So the three that are his are Instagram, Messenger and Facebook. And they're free, aren't they? So there's no 30% involved. From those top 10, only two pay anything at all. This is getting ridiculous. Netflix pay Apple money and Amazon pay Apple money. But as we now know from the full legal documents that were revealed a couple of months back, they don't pay the full 30%. But watch rattled Zuckerberg. He already makes billions of dollars selling his ads for free. Why is he moaning? Ah, something's changed. You know, we mentioned last time this 30% that Apple wanted from events hosted on Facebook for the small to medium sized businesses. Well, that returned. Facebook submitted a version of the app and they'd added a message to it, informing customers that Apple were about to take 30% of their purchase price. <laughs> Apple refused to allow Facebook to tell people that they were going to collect 30% of the in-app purchases. I'm not making this up. This is not a new comedy to which you are listening. No, th this is genuine. Facebook were forced to change the message so it didn't mention Apple. So, you know, if you can't say 30% of this is going to Apple, what do you say? And they decided to say Facebook were not taking any cut from the price. Mm. But despite all of his protests, he is clearly getting rattled about this 30% train, starting to impinge on his empire. And the fact he's not allowed to complain about it in a rather passive-aggressive billy-do inside the iOS app. But there's another reason. So I started researching this thinking, you know, it's got to be more than that. Um, but it's the next version of iOS. You know, the thing they announced where they're giving you more information about how apps track your personal information. You're going to have the option to allow tracking or ask an app not to track you. And you will have an advertising ID. I didn't realise I had an advertising ID. It's an IDFA. And once you're given that option, who would say, yes, it's fine, track me? Would you? No. No, me neither. So I'm guessing that Zuckerberg is rather upset that this option is going to be available and probably 95% of people will be like, oh, yeah, I'll have some of that. Don't track me. Can you hear my heart bleeding? No. I can assure you it isn't. They all want their heads banging together. Go do some good in the world instead of scrapping over money. It's most unseemly, particularly when you've got more money than God. Shall I move on to something that's not a total rant? Might be nice. Oh, good. There are some nice updates to Final Cut Pro and Motion. 
of particular significance to me was the addition of the ability to edit using proxy media. In fact, when I read it, I thought, how has that taken so long to be added? Particularly given that ScreenFlow added it over a year ago. And also the ability to edit with proxy media. Surely it's critical given how slow the rendering is in Final Cut. So it now supports proxies in H.264 or ProRes proxy format. And then it says in dimensions as small as 12.5% of the original. You can also create a proxy only copy of a library and share that with collaborators. Do you proxy edit anything? I don't. Well, not that I know of. I might well do. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you'd know if you were. Um, proxy editing is where all of the edits apply to a lower resolution and thus smaller file size copy, which means everything works faster. So you have a video, but it's a tiny percentage in this case, an eighth of the size of the original media. All the edits that you apply are saved basically as a text file, a list of instructions of changes that you have made to that media, things that you have applied to that media. It actually works in a similar way, you know, to an XMP sidecar file with images. Only this is video. Hindenburg works the same way. I had an edit on a Hindenburg file of two hours and the file was 17K. The underlying media was two gig but the actual set of instructions is tiny. So obviously, once the media is shared, so this proxy only copy of a library, once the media is shared, to actually send an edit takes fractions of a second because the edit is the tiny file of, in my case, 17K. So it's a huge thing for them to have added and could make the difference between something actually being usable and not, because I gave up Final Cut. I couldn't be doing with the rendering time. And I, I admit I gave it up years ago. The majority of my video is screen recording and I have ScreenFlow and then I moved to Camtasia and I've done everything that I needed in those. Do you know, it might be time to take Final Cut Pro for a spin again. Would that I had time to play with all the apps I'd like. Sadly, sometimes I actually need to work rather than entertain myself with new toys. You keep telling yourself that, girl. But believe us when we say, we know better. Talking of new toys, well, new-ish toys, and to talking of video editing. That leads us nicely, doesn't it? Into Camtasia 2020. Yes, yes it was a couple of months back that the new version was released, but we you know we, we were we were very early on in the COVID thing, so it got bypassed. Um, but it is the one that I actually use. And again, you've got a decision to make at the very beginning. It's available as a direct purchase, but it's also available in the Mac App Store. And there's a huge difference between the two. The direct version is actually quite expensive. £228.59 to be precise. And it's activated. It includes two activated installs. But the benefit of that is that it's Windows and Mac and the, the price as compared to what I will discuss shortly in the Mac App Store is because traditionally the Windows version has been seen as the most professional screen recording app on Windows and the price has reflected that. However, it's not as bad as it was, is it? It's not. When it very first came out and we looked at it for Windows, we had a budget for a local training group of £1,000 a year. 
And um, and that was for room hire and equipment hire and anything that we wanted to buy. And I think Camtasia was about £800. So it, was, it wasn't a goer, not unless we were going to sit outside on a cardboard box for the actual meeting. So the price has actually come down over the years. Now, with that version, if you make your initial purchase, you have the option to purchase a maintenance agreement for £45.49 a year. And the benefit of that is that you then get free updates in the future. So as long as your maintenance agreement is active, you don't pay for updates. So for us, where we already had a version from many years ago, which we then updated, when we got the option to buy the update at the update price and add maintenance to it, it made total sense. So the maintenance agreement, the there tends to be a new version every year, which makes the maintenance pretty much a no-brainer. They always seem to release it before my maintenance is due. This year it came out in April and the maintenance wasn't due till June. So I don't mind paying £45.50 a year, do you? Not at all. Now, the Mac App Store version is a totally different beast because that is only for the Mac. So if you wanted this on Windows, buying direct was the only way. The Mac App Store version is, obviously, if you are Mac only, a great alternative because it's a lot cheaper. It's £99 and it will allow you as many installs as you have Macs because that's the current rule in the App Store. So that's actually quite tempting. And that price has been halved in the App Store. Originally, the price in the App Store was 199 I must admit, I am quite tempted with that because I don't like activations. But I'd like the maintenance as well. They are very, very different prices, but it's because the direct version includes access to that Windows one. The maintenance agreement, I take it, it reduces the ongoing cost. It's predictable how much it's going to cost me. You could say that's a subscription. But if it were, it would be like a couple of pounds a week, if no, less than a pound a week, which is a lot different than an app that, like we've just discussed, Omniplan at, at 20 pounds a month. Ridiculous. Maybe maintenance would be a better idea. But also when you get the maintenance, because that's like an ongoing thing, you, you've taken it for 12 months, you actually get certification training included. So there's more than one course. It's not like there's two courses and they're identical, but one's for Mac and one's for Windows. Mainly it's Windows that's used during the training and then they'll do a, and this is what's different in the Mac version. But everything in, in every video is relevant to the Mac version. And there's more than one certification and you can use the certification that you get. Um, you can automatically push it through to LinkedIn. So that I think that's worth having. And there's also a 30 day free trial. So you can try it all out, even if you intend to buy via the Mac App Store. The 30 day free trial, you can use it to see if it's something that you would want to actually buy in the App Store. So that's buying it. Uh, what's new in Camtasia 2020? Well, the first thing they introduced was placeholder media types, which to me, that's fabulous because it means I can put an item, a placeholder on the timeline where I don't have the media yet. But what I can do with that placeholder is add visual effects to it, audio effects to it. I can do all sorts with it, but I don't have the final media yet. Without something like that, what I was putting on the timeline was 
say an image instead of the video and I was stretching it out to kind of fill it in and then working around it. It wasn't a true placeholder. It was just an image, which meant anything that I applied to it in terms of cropping it, scaling, whatever I did to it was not going to be there when I replaced it with the actual media. Whereas with a media placeholder, you can. So that is a huge addition as far as I'm concerned. They've added presets and themes, which to some degree were there already, but they've polished them up a bit. And the placeholders, the presets and the themes are critical because they are the things that you would put in the next new feature, which was templates. And I don't know about you, but I think templates are the holy grail of screencasting. Because if you have a standard intro, a standard outro, you have standard things on the timeline at a certain point, then the templates are just fabulous. I've actually made a template for the church mass that I'm doing every week. So when the video arrives, I just say file new based on a template, open the mass template. And I, what I've got on the timeline is everything that I need. At the beginning, I have like a placeholder. So my timeline is basically three placeholders. The first one is the opening titles. The last one is the credits and the middle one is the mass. And once I've got the mass and the two images that I need, it's just drag, drop, drag, drop, drag, drop, done. You can even, once you've got it on the timeline and you've used the placeholders to put the content on the timeline, you can actually edit within that without having to slice and dice. Um, I've got this workflow going where the beginning of the video, I don't know when the decompressions record. Logic would dictate when the priest walks out of the sacristy, but heaven knows if that's what actually happens. Sometimes there's a long gap at the beginning, but I can still drag and drop it into that placeholder. And then just I move my I move along the timeline until the point that I think that's where I want it to start. And I leave the playhead at that point. I go back to the beginning of the middle clip, the middle placeholder that's got the, the video of the mass in it. And I drag from the left to the right. And it just it's like moving it behind a window and I just move it up and I don't that I don't even really need to test it. I know that that will be right, that, that the entry point will then be right. So I will have done a crop, but within the placeholder. It's a fabulous, fabulous feature. Absolutely love that. They've also added magnetic tracks, which I didn't think I'd have that much use for. What they've added it for is where, let me know if this has happened to you, Mike. You add two, three, four, five elements to a track and you think you have bumped them up next to each other. But when you watch it, either when you think you think you've finished and then you realise you haven't finished, you've got like, a fraction of a gap between the two and there's like a black frame. Has that ever happened to you? Many times. Well, the magnetic track means when you drag and drop something onto the track, instead of it just dropping and there being a gap that you then have to get rid of, everything automatically twangs up to the left. And I thought, I can't see me using that because I use multiple tracks. And if I've lined something up on the track above, I don't want the track below to be automatically magically moving. But I did find a use for it, which I'll discuss later. They also added the ability to detach the timeline, which means you could put it on another screen, which doesn't sound logical until you realise, depending on the number of tracks you've got, they're stacked up one on top of the other. So to have an entire window dedicated to the timeline might actually be useful. 
I must admit, I've done that maybe once. I think it depends on how complicated your edit actually is. Then they've added improvements to the media bin, which is mainly views of your media. So initially you had this view and you dragged and dropped everything in it as a little thumbnail. ScreenFlow always had more views. So you could go into a list view. You could sort that view by the size of it or the date of it. Many different views. That's what Camtasia have added to this, which I think is actually very handy. They've also added, and I know this feature was there in the Windows one, wasn't it? Packaging. When you package up a file. Yeah. But packaging up a file means when you actually make a recording, unlike ScreenFlow, where it it only does one thing, it opens up ScreenFlow with a timeline and your assets are in there. You have an option with Camtasia. You can either record your screen as a T-Rec file, which is a TechSmith recording file, or you can have that file. I mean, it's always going to create the T-Rec, but you have an option to open it in a project, which is a CamProj file. Now, you discussed this at length, didn't you, about why it was so important? And I think you demonstrated it as well in MacBytes After Hours 16. I think you're right. The difference between the two in terms of if I've got a T-Rec file I've recorded on the Mac, I can edit that on Windows. But if I want to take my CamProj file, which is basically my T-Reg plus edits, then that gets a bit more complicated. And by sprucing up the packaging options, they've simplified the whole process, which, to be honest, I'm very grateful for because I remember you doing it and it's a nightmare, isn't it? Not easy. There were gotchas in terms of, wasn't it Windows couldn't read... Was Windows, yeah, and certain versions of Camtasia can't read AIFF, and certain versions can't read HEIC, and yeah. So, so, so a lot of the formats that are supported on Mac aren't supported on Windows. So this simplifies the packaging up. I'm presuming some of those restrictions would still apply. So you still need to have like a checklist of if you're putting images in, make sure that they are in a format. If you need to edit on Windows or you may need to edit on Windows, they're actually compatible with Windows. But the packaging uh, options that they've improved will help with all of that. One of the things they added and I thought, really, mm, reverse transitions, which I thought, well, that's very, either very niche or it's going to rock your world. And I can't honestly say it rocked my world. So basically, if you've got a transition that's a fade in, it can now fade out. Why would I want to fade out a fade in? Basically, just reverses the transition. Uh, one of the ones that did rock my world was the auto resizing of the text. I found Camtasia incredibly weird. As you made the text box bigger, the text box got bigger. But as you made the text box smaller, instead of it, the text disappearing because, you know, you've set the text size to be 20 points, it resized it. And I thought, then I've got to go through and I've got to manually resize it again. Don't do that. Well, they've now, it's an option. You can toggle it on or off. If you prefer the old way, you can leave Camtasia to it where nothing will match at all. Or you can toggle this new option to, you know, don't do that. And it becomes much more Mac OS-like. So I'm glad that they've added that one. I demonstrated the track mat, didn't I, with my holiday thing. They've added matting, a mat mode, track mat mode. That, that's not easy to say. Track mat mode. It's basically masking. So you can add content 
to a track and use it as a mask on another track. It makes far more sense when you see it than it does to talk about it, but it's a nice feature. They've also added ProRes codec support, and to me, the more codecs that are supported, the better. And finally, there is a UV meter. There's still no audio scrubbing, but at least now you can see your audio. You can see it bouncing up and down in a meter. That audio scrubbing was very important to some people, and I got asked about it when I demoed this initially. And no, there was no audio scrubbing. I must admit, I always turn that off. It drives me insane. It's been there since forever in ScreenFlow. And next to it, there's a little pair of headphones and you can click that and it means you can still scrub, but you don't get this high pitched screech of the audio being scrubbed through. So I actually would turn that off anyway. But some people, it's important. And then they added a tiny, tiny thing, track reordering. It's such a small thing, but it makes a massive difference, doesn't it, Mike? Track reordering was the reason that you upgraded. It was indeed. It's something that... And have you used it since? Don't think so, but it's something that ScreenFlow has. But um, yeah, I wanted it in there and I've got it and I haven't used it, but it's there if I want it. Oh, I agree with you. I think it should definitely be there. I think if you're editing a basic video, then no. I mean, I don't use that at all in the church thing because there's a template. So in a way that now they finally added it, but they've put in a template so you can get your ducks in a row before you start. It's when a video is quite complicated and you suddenly realise that you've got maybe watermarks and now you've put something over the top of it. And now the watermarks need to move. The only way to do that previously was to make a new track and then move the track contents. So obviously to be able to move the tracks is why that wasn't there in the first place, I do not know. But it's there now. You can solo a track, which means that you can place um, an item on. So you have a track of, of, of certain content and you want to view it or listen to it in isolation to everything else. So you solo it. Um, many, many audio applications have the ability to solo a track or mute a particular track. And you've got that option as well. They've added precise object sizing, which seems like nothing. But it is quite important. I don't like this sizing thing where you're sizing it by a percentage. I, I want to say it's X number of pixels by Y number of pixels. And they've added that. Now, there is a lot to like both about the update and Camtasia in general. And it is still my screen recording and editing app of choice. But what everyone seems to want is a comparison with ScreenFlow. So the bad. You always like the good, the bad and the ugly. Must dig that that must dig that stinger out. The bad. There are many, many examples of where ScreenFlow has the edge. Camtasia can only record a single screen. ScreenFlow has been able to record as many screens as you have for a year. And that's not just, you know, my main Mac screen and a secondary monitor. It's a third monitor. It's anything you've got attached via a duet display. If you're seeing something on your Mac, then ScreenFlow can capture it. Camtasia can't capture a monitor and an iOS device at the same time, which is beyond ludicrous. But as I've said, ScreenFlow can capture both. So not only can ScreenFlow capture, you know, your five monitors, it can capture iOS device while it's at it. One of the, you know, you know, the tiny niggles of which we speak. 
one of the tiny niggles that drives me insane. It has always driven me insane with it. I've just accepted to work around it. Every time you save the file, the playback stops. So if I'm, I've done an edit and then I press play and I'm looking at it. At that point, I'm not actually doing an edit. I'm monitoring when I'm next going to need to do an edit. That's when I press Command and S and save the file. And every time I do, the playback stops. It drives me insane. Um, they obviously don't think it's a big deal. But every time there's an update to it, I'm like, right, first thing to try. Press play, save. No, it's still stopping it. It's just a niggle. It really is. But Camtasia will stop. ScreenFlow won't. So in ScreenFlow, as you're editing and you made your edit and it's playing, you can save the file. It will carry on playing. If they could just fix that, that would be fabulous. The other thing is um, webcam footage is not as good as it should be. There's no excuses and it's supposedly fixed, but it looks like a pea soup fog, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, the same, we're talking from the same camera. So I've got high def cameras, um, webcams and cameras that I'm piping into it. And it's not as good as it should be. It's as simple as that. There's no proxy editing, but, you know, that's only just been added to Final Cut Pro, as we talked about. There's no marker export or even a dialog box where you could view the markers that you've added. So it supports markers all right. It supports both timeline markers and media markers. But, you know, great, I can get them in, I can't get them out. But fear not, I have you covered in that though, with the dirtiest of dirty hacks. I actually demonstrated how with a text editor and some ingenuity that can actually be done. So I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, it was in MacBytes After Hours 92. And that enables me to extract it. In fact, I've got I've got a better workflow with that than I ever had with ScreenFlow because ScreenFlow also can't export them. But ScreenFlow had a dialog box where I could see them. So how I did it in ScreenFlow was take a screen cap and then OCR it, which is ridiculous. Why not just give you the option to export the markers? But I managed it. It's just a bit complicated. Now, you might be thinking with all that wrong with it, <laughs> You know, where ScreenFlow's got the edge. Why are you using Camtasia? This is the good. It has a feature called Extend Frame. It's an Extend Frame edit. It's to die for. It's as simple as that. The only way to replicate that in ScreenFlow is to take a screenshot and patch it. But the screenshot never matches. So there's a flickering colour. Extend Frame is just the best feature ever. It's one of the two reasons that I moved to Camtasia. One was the extend frame and the other was Camtasia supports transparency in PDFs. You can add a PDF, a transparent PDF to ScreenFlow, but you get a white background, so it's useless. Those were the two features that made me move. But now it's got more good features that I do rely on. So the library system, you can create libraries of items and share them across machines. The packaging system makes it cross-platform and you have true templates with placeholders. It also has the most amazing rolling edit capabilities um, that TechSmith appear to be completely unaware of. What is a rolling edit? I hear you asking. Let me apprise you. Um, this is not billed as a rolling edit feature in Camtasia. So that's the first thing to understand. It's actually something that was born out of the feature I mentioned earlier, which was the magnetic timeline. Now, it's only a faux rolling edit because they're not billing it as a rolling edit. But 
ScreenFlow has a rolling edit feature. It's always had it. I think it had it in version one. And what a rolling edit is, you put two media elements on the timeline and you want to move between them. So you might want to extend the first one into the second or extend the second into the first or maybe just alter where the edit is between the two of them. And to do that, you had this feature. And when you hover over the where two items, two media elements bump up to each other, you get this kind of circle with a line sticking out of it either side. Left sides at the top, right sides at the bottom. You click and drag to the left, drag to the right, and you are doing a rolling edit. That's what it means. When do you use that? We well, can use it with video. You got two video clips and you've got, a, you know, you've not made the video too short. So you've left the thing running a little bit at the end and you've recorded a bit extra at the beginning. Then the rolling edit, you can roll between them based on that extra little capacity you've got. I have never done that ever. In fact, until I switched to Camtasia, isn't this typical? I had no need whatsoever for the rolling edit capabilities of ScreenFlow. So when I was comparing the two, it was like, hmm, ScreenFlow's got a rolling edit feature. Camtasia hasn't. He's all right. I don't use it. One of the very first jobs I then did in Camtasia was to add something like 70 slides as images to the track. And I needed to marry them up with some audio. And for that, I needed a rolling edit, because if I didn't, I'd have to drag one back and like that's where that one finishes. Then I'd have to go and manually get the next clip and manually move it along and so forth 70 times. But with a rolling edit, you don't need to do that. You grab the join between the two and you drag it forward or backwards on the timeline, marry it up to the audio and that's it. You're done. It's so much easier. That's a really good use for a rolling edit. But as I've said, Camtasia does not have a rolling edit. So this faux rolling edit is actually a knock on effect of having the magnetic timeline. So what I actually did for this was I dragged and dropped the images onto the timeline and then I made sure that the magnetic timeline was turned on for that track. Then when I hovered between the join of two media files, I could drag it left, drag it right, and I was extending one and contracting the other. What made it even better than the ScreenFlow version of a rolling edit, which is a dedicated feature, not a byproduct, is within ScreenFlow, you can only rolling edit between the duration of the two media clips that you are putting the rolling edit between. So when you drag and drop images onto a timeline and they are displaying for 10 seconds, that's the most you can do. You would then have to manually move it. So say I'm talking in my audio for 25 seconds and I want that slide on the screen for 25 seconds. I'm going to have to manually do that. I can only rolling edit as within the duration of, of the clips that I'm editing. But Camtasia lets you rolling edit as long as you like. So now instead of me thinking oh, I've got all those slides to do, I'll use ScreenFlow. I'm now like, bring it on because it's actually better in Camtasia. But the thing with TechSmith is I've and I did have a conversation with them, didn't I? And you still giggle about that. Yes. <laughs> He's smiling broadly. He's actually laughing. 
they made the mistake of doing one of these. We care what you think. Could we talk to you just for 10 minutes about how you use Camtasia? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. So I signed up for it. They gave me this thing and you basically did a call with them, an audio call. And they had their team around a table and they were talking to people in like, you know, for however long. And it was like, well, what do you do with this? What do you do with that? And do you have anything to say? Well, you should have seen Mike's face. It's like, yeah, get comfy, get a drink. Ah, actually, you might need a blanket. And I told them exactly what was wrong with their app <laughs> and how I used it and what were they like at the end of the call. I couldn't see their faces, but their voices said it all. It was like, thank you for that. We'll get back to you. <laughs> but, you know, they make the thing fair enough. But you and I live inside apps like that. So, of course, we have valuable feedback. Think of it as valuable feedback, TechSmith. Like the fact they were unaware that they had this, they, they did not advertise the fact before this conversation that you could bring in PDFs at all, much less transparent PDFs. The next version that came out, they advertised that as being a new feature. And I said to Mike, oh, that was one of mine. But they didn't say transparent PDFs. And I'm like, oh, come on, head desk. You are the only app that can do that. But you don't seem to be aware that that's fabulously useful. It means I can use vectors. They seem totally unaware. They seem completely unaware that, that by adding the magnetic timeline, they've created a rolling edit feature. I should blog that, shouldn't I? And let's see if they pick up on it. That's what I'll do. But if you are in the market for it, be aware of where ScreenFlow has the edge. But if your features requests are like mine, the rolling edit, the extend frame, the library system, true templates, then maybe Camtasia is the way to go. And it's certainly the way to go if you need to be cross-platform. Well, I had fun this week with my external monitor. Back in 2018, I bought myself a flat screen monitor. And it all started with a guy at work whose job it is to play with new tech, showing one to me. He said that it would be great for the trainers. Even back then, 90% of the training that we delivered was done virtually. He said you could put your notes and your Skype window on one screen and the app that you were sharing on the other screen. So I spoke to my boss and he said there was no budget to buy a monitor for each of the trainers. So I bought my own. It's an Asus 15.6 inch and it connects to the computer via a USB cable, which also provides the power. I did a full review of it in show 112. A few days ago, one lunchtime, I wanted to do some work using the iMac that we have in the studio, which, as many of you know, is where I work during the day. So I shut the lid on my work laptop. I didn't shut the machine down, just shut the lid and left it on the desk. I took the Mac keyboard off the undershelf desk where it lives when it's not in use and I placed it on top of the laptop. I did my work, I put the keyboard away and I lifted the lid of the laptop and the laptop came back to life as I'd expect. But the external monitor didn't. I unplugged it and plugged it back in several times. I unplugged it and plugged it into a different USB slot several times. I unplugged all the USB devices, monitor, headset and mouse and plugged just the monitor in, just in case there was a clash. I rebooted the laptop. Nothing brought it back to life. 
It wasn't actually the end of the world, but I was running a training session. And although I can deliver the training session without a second monitor, it's a lot easier with one. I'd actually just about given up when I decided, you know, as you do, unplug and plug it back in one more time. Not much hope, but it came back to life. So I ran my training course and when I finished training, I took the monitor into the office and plugged the USB cable into a 10 port hub that I've got connected to the Mac. And because my virtual machine was running, a message popped up asking whether I wanted to connect the monitor to the Mac or Windows. And I chose Windows. And guess what? The monitor sprang to life. Now, Windows must have been set to mirror rather than extended desktop, but it didn't matter. What was important was that it was working. Now, when I say working, I had a picture on the external monitor. So from that point, yes, it was working. It's more than I had before. But I tried dragging an icon around the Windows desktop and it didn't work. I could point the mouse at the icon, but trying to drag it did nothing. So I'm thinking, was there a conflict between the USB devices? I had no idea and I didn't waste time trying to find out because the test was simply to see if there was life in the monitor, which there was. And it was then that I had an idea. Rather than plugging the monitor directly into the laptop, why not plug it into a dongle and plug that into the laptop? Somewhere I had a four port USB dongle that I'd bought to use with my Surface. I checked all my drawers and my bags. I couldn't find it. On the back of the office door, we have this hanging organiser thing. It's one of those things that you can hang on the back of a door or on a wall or in a wardrobe. I think actually it's designed to hold shoes or socks. Certainly not designed for storing cables. But Elaine being Elaine has turned a clothes organiser into a cable organiser. I haven't got enough shoes to fill it with, Mike, but I have plenty of cables. Seriously, it works very well. We know where everything is because the sections have a clear plastic front and are open at the top so you can see what is where. Also, we don't have to take everything out to find that the cable that we need is stuck at the back of a, of a drawer. So from that point of view, it's much better than using a drawer in an IKEA Helmer. In one of the sections of the shoe holder turned cable organiser, you like what I've called it? <sighs> yes, I should, I should make one of these myself and <laughs> trademark it. The shoe holder turned cable organiser. Yes, in one of the sections of the shoe holder turned cable organiser was a four port USB dongle, which I plugged into the laptop and then plugged the USB cable from the monitor into the dongle. And lo and behold, the monitor sprung into life. I just find it weird that after all the time that it was working when being plugged directly into the laptop, it now needs a dongle to act as a go between. Did I ever find my dongle? No, I'm sure it's somewhere in, in a bag. But in the meantime, I've ordered a replacement from Amazon. Are we going live again on Friday night with Mac Bites After Hours? 
We're wrapping up the Dev and Think series with a range of tips and tricks. Oh, and a Q&A. Oh, and I've got plenty more kind of dirty hacks. We like dirty hacks, don't we? We do indeed. I've got another three of them. And after providing an overview of automating the after hours chat last week, I'll be demonstrating how to automate getting the chat from Marooned into Notion. And as if weekly episodes of MacBytes After Hours isn't enough, we're going live every day during lockdown. We're at the end of week 25. Yes, six months in and 175 shows too. Marooned at MacBytes headquarters is an audio show on MacBytes FM and it's every day at 7pm UK time. We have an absolute blast chatting with you all. So do join us for some daily laughter in the midst of these increasingly strange times. And apart from Marooned and After Hours, there's more. Yes, get ready for plenty of new live streams in the autumn. So far, we've got Mastering the Export Persona in Affinity Designer, Blend Modes in Affinity Photo, Layers and Masks in Affinity Photo, and many more. But if you've got an idea for a topic you'd like included, let me know. It's not too late. Let me know. But that's it for this episode of Map Bites. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So send us your questions, your comments and your queries. Our email address is thecrew at macbytes.co.uk or you can use the contact form on the website. We also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. To get to it, go to macbytes.co.uk slash slack and join the conversation. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until the next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. Could you open the door for me, please? What are you doing with the foot pump? I need it for the rubber dinghy. What rubber dinghy? The one I'm about to inflate in the back garden. What's the pole for? To hold the tarpaulin in place. What tarpaulin? And why is the desk lamp in the back garden? Stop asking questions, woman. This is my most cunning plan ever. If it's the poor man's version of a bubble boutique, she'll turn you in for recycling before dinner. She won't. She will. She won't. Not when I reveal the full extent of my genius. Good grief. You get more conceited every week. But this really is genius. Please enlighten me as to how, pitching an unedifying bivouac in her back garden, will have her declare you a genius? It's simple really. I've taken inspiration from the Singapore Pier Bubble Boutique, and built a new Apple store in the back garden. I can see that. Are you getting round to the genius part anytime soon? It's a ruse. Timmy can't help himself when there's a new Apple store. He's compelled to visit to officially open it. He's like a moth to a flame. Which means I can take full credit for getting him here for question time with Timmy. Or, the interrogation, as we're calling it. Actually, that really is genius. <laughs> <laughs>